Welcome to the Airline Weekly Lounge. I'm your host, Edward Russell, and I'm joined by my co-host, Jay Shabat, to discuss the Paris Air Show and my recent interview with Alaska Airlines CEO, Ben Minicucci. Enjoy. Hey, Jay, how are you doing this Paris Air Show week? Oh, yeah, I'm fine. Uh, following a lot of the all the all the fun air, air uh, aircraft orders and all that fun stuff. Absolutely. Well, I, I was showing my son the uh, one of the flyovers at the show, and, and he very much enjoyed it, though. He uh, he thought the fighter jets were a bit too loud for him, but that's, uh, you know, he's four and a half. So that I give him that. <laughs> very fun. Yeah, no, it's uh, the kids love it. Yeah. Well, listeners, neither of us are actually in Paris this year, but we've both been following it from afar. And uh, yeah, the big news out of Paris—it's—it's uh, it's, if if anything, I'd say it's actually been fairly quiet Paris in terms of orders, except for the mega Indigo deal for 500 A320 Neos, which we kind of all knew was coming. But uh, that's really the only headline deal out of the show that that, in my sense, Jay. Yeah, yeah, I think India was a big story. If you recall, ten years ago at the Dubai Air Show, it was 20, 2013. And the Emirates, that was where Emirates made uh, the first really, really big 777X order. They ordered, yes. uh, have it on my screen here, some 115 of them. And then Etihad stepped in, they ordered 25. And then Qatar Airways ordered, what was it, 50, letter of intent for 50. Uh, and that was almost, uh, that marked for me, it was symbolic of sort of the coming of age of the Gulf carriers. You know, here was this, that was the wow moment for everyone in the industry. Like, wow, these Gulf carriers are really super ambitious. And not to say they weren't growing very fast beforehand or hadn't, you know, they they had made uh, very big orders beforehand. I think they're even uh, the Emirates order of messy 380s at that show as well. But it was that 2013 show where it just kind of crystallized everything. Well, I kind of feel like we're experiencing that same moment with India in 2023 at this Paris Air Show. So we had, as you mentioned, you know, the uh, just just a bunch of big Indian orders. You had the Indigo ordered. Uh, help me out here. Was it? Uh, let's see. Uh, was that another hundred A three twenty ones? Did they split it up? I I just saw five hundred A three twenty Neo family, but I don't know if they they broke it down in any of the subsequent comments. And I think the most interesting thing, uh, I think it was all A three twenty ones, but uh, more interestingly. Uh, more interesting was just the fact that it, it was indeed narrow bodies. They did not uh, go in for any wide bodies, which some were, you know, suspecting that they might, and they still, and they still, still might. They, in fact, it's it's uh, perhaps more more likely than not they, that they eventually will fly wide bodies. But for now, stick into the narrow bodies. And then we had That's Air right. India. We had Air India confirm an earlier order. So I don't think anything new at the Paris Air Show, but. Uh, I'm still going through all these orders, by the way, uh, for our issue coming up, our airline weekly issue. You get to read all about the details coming up on Monday. But uh, the, we have the Air India. And then uh, Akasa, which is a, a newcomer to the scene, they ordered uh, a handful of more uh, 737s. So just all this Indian activity. And, uh, you know, people are asking the same questions as they asked in 2013 about the Gulf carriers. They're asking now, you know, are the Indian carriers for real? Can they support all this? Is it is it? Uh, you know, overzealous. Uh, and, uh, you know, I, th- I think with the Gulf carriers, I think the answer was to a certain extent it was overzealous. I mean, I think the, the a lot of that growth is, is uh, never, never really did come to pass. 
Um, it doesn't help another... that the 777X is is about five years late at this point. But I was just about to say <laughs> that it's another discussion whether, you know, these, uh, these you know, big aircraft delays, uh, you know, they kind of shape the discussion as well. But we'll leave that aside. Uh, but yeah, is our, our Indian carriers, uh, you know, are they, is, is that the next big thing? Um, I mean, it's really what it a good question. Like. I, you know, I was speaking to Indigo CEO Peter Elbers at the Ada AGM earlier in June. So this is before the big order. But even there, he was telling me that I asked him what his two biggest or, or what his, his biggest concerns were. And he said, I mean, two of them were really the ability to... To, to sort of meet the growth expectations they they forecast and that one is getting the planes to fly it and we've talked to uh, you know at infinitum about the supply chain issues with new aircraft and the second was having the aviation infrastructure in India to support the growth and you know I I'm not an expert on India but it, when I when I lived in Asia and that was a decade ago I mean India had a Big ambitions, but they certainly were not fulfilling uh, the infrastructure needs at a rapid pace. Uh, many of the big projects faced you know, countless delays, especially compared to China. So I think that's still a big question. Can India build all the aviation capacity that they need to support two, you know, a thousand plus aircraft on order at their two largest airlines over the next decade? Yeah, I think that's a very big question. And to, to be clear, um, the India as a country has uh, stepped up their infrastructure investment uh, quite substantially. Um, they are building a new smaller airport in Delhi. It's mostly going to be domestic from what I understand. And uh, they are building a brand new airport in Mumbai as well. So it's, uh, you know, and, and a lot of smaller cities are, are getting new airports or upgraded airports. So uh, some of that is coming. Now, what will it be enough to support this, you know, massive, massive increase in capacity that these Indian airlines plan we don't know. Now there's, you know, we can we can we can go on and on about wild cards and different different factors that may shape this story going forward. You know, it could be that uh some of the existing airlines that are maybe in, you know, less uh less less financially healthy, SpiceJet comes to not comes to mind, you know, who knows what their situation is gonna be. What if they were to disappear? Well, that, you know, creates uh the overall market uh, that that takes them out of the overall market. And, it, it takes uh, them out, but then you have startups like Acasa is growing. Uh, they're not a huge player. They're not even as big as SpiceJet at this point, but they're growing. You know, Jet Airways is still trying to relaunch. It's you know, it's a competitive market, even though the players keep changing. And I would say it's probably one of the only markets where the players change as frequently as in India, for you know, better or worse. But uh, I asked Elbers about that, and he he really described India as, as sort of a viciously competitive market, so, uh, especially for airlines. Absolutely. And, you know, exactly where that all nets out at the end, you know, the new airlines coming, the, the existing airlines that are growing, and the incumbent financially troubled airlines that perhaps will disappear. You know, where does that net out 5, 10, 15 years from now? That's, uh, those are exactly. all interesting questions. I like to, you know, just to conclude, I, about, <laughs> I like to think of... Uh, you know, the, the Gulf carriers were sort of yesterday's growth story. Turkish Airlines is today's growth story. And India, perhaps, Indian Airlines are, are perhaps the future growth story. Uh, and, you know, we'll see how it plays out. Absolutely. Yeah. No, and we're, we're going to be watching this closely. Uh, it's uh, <laughs> You mentioned Turkish. That's one order that did not happen at Paris, though I don't think any of us were suspecting it. You know, they're expected to order 600 aircraft uh, split between Airbus and Boeing, though their chairman would not tell me in Istanbul uh, the exact split. 
but it's uh he they're they're planning their own big event to to announce their 600 order and they they skipped Paris for doing it. So there are more mega orders to come, that's for sure. Yes, yeah, Turkish Airlines is still very much uh, a growth airline and as as you mentioned uh, on the verge of uh, uh a massive air, air, air aircraft order in their own right. So so yes, keep keep an eye out on them. Um yeah, so if I can maybe switch over, I have some some data for uh, our listeners here. Um, I, I ran a, a list of the uh, the basically the air, the the top uh, airline shoppers, we should say, or airline um, the airlines with the most aircraft on order. Uh, and this is from Sirium's Fleets Analyzer. And don't take these numbers too literally. Um, I just you know kind of did get a rough uh, a rough query here. And uh, United Airlines, United has has more aircraft on order than any other airline in the world and i'm no counting, way united really well i'm counting options so ah, it's okay. yeah now you, that's why i said be careful you know just be <laughs> you know what they say you know about statistics you uh you could torture the data uh, enough you could have them say whatever you want them to say but um no 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 uh no intention to torture data here but uh if you want to listen i do have the columns here uh firm orders and options and letters of intent um, if you just want to look at firm orders, then the number two on the list, Indigo, becomes number one. So they have 987 now on uh, Airbus narrowbodies on firm order, and that may include some ATRs as well. I'm not sure if they still, but uh, that they would be the number one in the world if you just include firm orders. Um, so that's uh, and that includes what we just were talking about their order, their big follow up order in Paris. Number three on the list. Um, and again, this is all firm now, 475 firm orders for Air India. They're number three. And then I've got four, number four is Air Asia. Now, a lot of that is, is options. Um, Delta is very high on the list if you include options, Southwest. Um, and even American. American has largely, uh, they, they went kind of early in their fleet renewal. So they have- Yeah, I was going to say, plans. I thought they were mostly done with uh, with their big- Order, they, they order book. yes, and they, they're they're large, but remember they they still do have some you know Airbus uh, narrow bodies and seven eight seven still coming. They have the XLRs on order, so they actually still uh, have yes. one hundred seventy five planes on on firm order. Um, they're they're just such a giant giant airline that uh, I guess at any given time they're going to have uh, a lot a lot of planes coming and going. So um, they are on the top ten list, but uh, but yes, United United is the one that's um, you know most aggressive right now and ordering new planes. And there's, you know, leasing companies unless Aircap is number nine, uh, Wizz Air is another one that cracks the top 10, Guitar Airways almost. So uh, yeah, it's 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 kind of all, um, you know, air, airlines of all shapes and sizes and, and leasing companies. Yeah, but the list doesn't actually surprise me too much. It's it's sort of the the usual suspects of, of yep. orders, you know, there's no single carrier is like wow wait you know like remember when lion air ordered 200 or 300 aircraft a couple of years ago or it might have been six years ago now but it's uh you know that was sort of a out there one but yeah the list doesn't doesn't surprise me a ton and by the way the uh the Sirium data d- does show our, our friends at lion air still have 423 planes on firm order now again and this is another reason why i say don't take this all literally you know uh, aircraft order books are very fungible and you know, contracts are, they're, you know, they're not always uh, terms of the contract are not always public and uh, side understandings are not always public. So, you know, we don't know that uh, some of those planes uh, from Lion Air may be, 
you know, maybe not, not, ag- they may never come to fruition. So just keep, keep that in mind. But, but exactly. as you said, I mean, there's really no huge surprises here. I mean, it's, 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 you know, we, we can say with, uh, with, with assurance that uh, United Airlines is right now a very, very aggressive aircraft buyer, aircraft shopper. Uh, and that's certainly true of others on this list that we came to Indigo, Air India, et cetera. And that's uh, my mind immediately goes to all the capital. Those airlines are going to need to buy those planes. Yeah. Uh, United, yeah. of course, will has access to the double ETC market uh, to secured aircraft bonds here in the U.S. Other carriers have less access to that, especially I think the, I don't know if the India India is signatory to the Cape Town Treaty, which governs the double ETC market. But it's going to be interesting to watch. But that, that'll be for another episode in a few years once we have a better idea. Yeah, yeah, and that's getting a little bit in the weeds here on aircraft financing, but just that in general, um, it does, you know, the one one thing about airlines is they, you know, it's collectively the industry just has to finance, you know, hundreds of billions of dollars of these new things, new, new, new planes, they're, they're not cheap. Uh, so where do you get the money? And there are different sources, you know, some airlines pay out of their own pockets, Singapore Airlines is notorious for, or they're known for you know, we've uh, we, we made a lot of money last year. We got profits and money sitting in the bank account, so we can just pay for them in cash. Um, you can uh, you can borrow the money from banks. You can borrow the money from investors. That's you know what essentially one form of, of doing the latter is that WTC that Ned referred to. Um, now, the one nice thing about airlines when they borrow is that the aircraft they're very valuable aircraft. They're very valuable collateral, so you can borrow easily against them. So yes, interest rates are going up, and yes, airlines are paying more for their capital, but it's um, they're a little bit more cushioned from some of the market forces because the uh, you know these aircraft are so valuable. A lender can come in, whether it's an investor or a bank or whoever, and come in and say, yeah, if you don't pay me back, I'll just seize your collateral and I'll be ha- I'll, I'll seize your aircraft. I'll be happy with that because it's worth so much. So I'll give you a, you know pretty good interest rate. So no no huge. It's not you know fine. There have been times. In the past, where access to financing has been a big issue for the industry, it's not really a huge issue right now, from what I understand. Um, but I think we're going too far into the, uh, yeah. the weeds here on, on aircraft finance. But the, anyway, that's uh, <laughs> you can read more about that in the issue, Airline Weekly issue. Definitely, definitely. With that, we're going to take a quick break, and we're going to be back to talk about Alaska and what's happening in the Puget Sound. And we're back. So I had the opportunity to speak with Alaska CEO Ben Minicucci here in Washington, D.C. this week. And, you know, he he was very, uh, I love to say he was very on message, but, you know, he gave some insight into the trends that Alaska is seeing. And he echoed the, the statements that some executives made at an investor conference a couple of weeks ago that corporate travel remains sort of plateaued at the 70 to 80 percent level of 2019. Um so 75% on average would be a good way to put it. And he, they aren't seeing any step up or real change in that immediately. They could see that in the fall, but he's not. he, he would not go as far to say that they would. Uh, but he also said that it's a big opportunity that when that business travel comes back, and he did say he expects it to come back at some point, that it's going to be a, a big uh, upside to Alaska earnings. And, you know, for the record, they are... Right, Jay, they're already turning a profit again. So it's not like Alaska's still losing money. Like some Hawaiian is the one I, I immediately think of. But yeah. Correct. Yeah, they they are. And uh and just we can we can just throw the numbers out so our readers have context here. 
So Alaska, they did they did lose money in the first quarter, which is for them that's okay. I mean, first quarter January, February, just really rough months for the for the Seattle market, and and that's you know kind of where a lot of their their business comes from. Um, they have you know pre pre COVID they they were gonna kind of getting into the good habit of making money in the first quarter. Anyway, the negative five percent operating margin in the first quarter, but for all of twenty twenty two. They made a solid positive 7% operating margin, which was on par with Allegiant. And it was ahead of Southwest. It was ahead of United. It was American. So yeah, do it. They're, they're, they had a very, very nice rebound in 2022. Absolutely. They're doing you just see that continuing this some, year, yeah. particularly yeah, with yeah, leisure yeah. travel. Leisure travel, as every other airline executive has said, remains robust this summer. Um, again, yep. you wouldn't really comment on what he expects in the fall, but said even if there is a small slowdown, uh, they they're ready for it. So yeah, it was a uh, very positive uh, comments on at least the demand outlook and stuff. Did you ask him about the transcon markets? That's one that I always was curious about. That may you know, may I know be that's a vulnerability a, for them. I know that's a favorite for you, uh, Jay. Unfortunately, that did not <laughs> come up. Uh, I did get the chance to speak to Minikuchi a lot about. Um, the situation here in Washington, which is where, uh, where Congress is currently debating the FAA reauthorization bill that comes up every five years. And Minikuchi was very on message with Airlines for America, saying that you know their focus is really, one, to expand the uh, sort of air traffic control capacity, and that means hiring new controllers. There's a shortage currently, as well as investing in next-gen. He also joked that they've been calling for next-gen investment for decades, so not exactly terribly optimistic that that's going to happen, but that's their hope. Um, expanding the aviation workforce, uh, pilots addressing the pilot shortage, and then su- support for sustainability. And those were his three main talking points that he kept coming back to during our conversation. But one one fun fact, and all the uh, Beltway insiders will will be keen on this, is you know they, Alaska's come out against new slots uh, for long-distance flights at Washington's National Airport. The airport has a 1,250-mile perimeter, so they need a special slot exemption to do that. Uh, I asked him, you know, Alaska could benefit from adding more flights to its West Coast hubs. They could also face competition. And and he simply said, you know, DCA is at capacity and they don't want to see more congestion. So that was Minikuchi's view on the hot debate here in D.C. over slots, even though, as he said, that's not really critical to FAA reauthorization. But yeah, that's where he stood. Oh, interesting. Yeah. And uh, yeah, for those of you that uh, follow me on LinkedIn, I uh, ask a question. We, we, we kind of give an airline weekly question of the day and, and a little poll to get, get your your thoughts. Uh, and today, this morning, I asked, by the way, we're talking, I guess we should always say that the time we're talking, it's th- Thursday morning, um, June 22nd. And uh, my my LinkedIn post this morning was, was asking whether or not Alaska might in the future uh, turn to wide bodies. And that's an interesting question. You know, right now they're an all narrow body carrier. I think they're just, uh, I guess they have a few maybe Airbus narrow bodies lingering, uh, inherited from their Virgin America acquisition. If those uh, aren't pre- gone, they're supposed to be gone. I think by the end of the year, it's by very, the the year. very close. Yeah, it's it's imminent if not already done. So yep, yeah. So soon they'll be all seven thirty seven with, uh, I guess you know some Ember planes. I think the Q four hundreds are gone, right? And those are gone. Those, those, those are gone. Mm-hmm. So it's uh, yeah, yeah, very no- simple. Yeah. Yeah. He. I. I. I for wide bodies, nothing. Nothing imminent now. But uh, Minikuchi did speak uh, to the Max Ten, which is still pending certification, and Alaska is eager to get some of those aircraft. Uh, he talked about up to fifty Max Tens, 
and at, at some point they haven't firmed that up or anything. Uh, but and he talked about just the the economics that for essentially the same capital costs they get uh, you know another twelve or fifteen passengers versus the max nine and that really works well for their network especially with Seattle being a constrained airport you know yes. flying more seats on each departure just you know helps drive more revenue to their bottom line. I was just going to say that ten's probably going to be a good aircraft for them because uh, you know the economics on the extra seats as you mentioned are, are excellent. The, uh, the risk, of course, is, you know, that you're not going to be able to fill the seats and you're going to, you know, if you fly them around empty, it's not going to do anybody any good. Uh, but I think in their case, because Seattle uh, really has serious congestion problems at the airport with no, uh, as far as I understand, there's really no viable way to expand that airport. I mean, just given the land constraints and whatnot. So uh, it'll, you know, that's, uh, you see this. You see a lot of this in, in Asia where you have these very congested airports. And so, you know, a Japanese, Japanese airline will fly, you know, wide body aircraft on domestic routes, even though it's totally not the, opt, you know, not optimally designed for that. They'll do it because they just have more demand than the airport slots can 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 accommodate. So fun, uh, fun know, fact on that, extreme, I, you know. the, the only domestic flight in Japan I've ever taken was um Tokyo to uh, Takamatsu in um, sort of their, their inland sea, and it was a seven eight seven dash eight, and I'm like, this is awesome. Ask you give me, I'm like, I'm on an hour flight, and I get a whole seven eight seven, and I mean, it was a full flight. I have to say, but yeah, something you don't generally see here at home in the U.S. Yeah, and if you recall, Boeing originally, very early on in the seven eight seven program, when it was still that was seven e seven, they called it. They actually had a Dash 3 version along with the 8 and the 9s, and now they have a 10 as well. And that Dash 3 was specifically designed for the Japanese airlines. So it was basically taking that 787 and optimizing it as best as possible for those you know, short stage length Japanese domestic and short haul markets. Boeing ultimately never, you know, they, they scrapped that idea because of, uh, I mean, even though the Japanese carriers are very important customers, with all the you know the production delays and complications and all that, they scrapped the idea. But a little did, bit of a, yeah, Boeing a little jog down memory lane there. Yeah, well, didn't Boeing back in the day offer the Japanese airlines a modified seven forty seven like two hundred that was, uh, you know, designed basically for short flights? I guess fewer, less fuel, and I, 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 I yeah, I, that, I mean that's wrong, going that's but, going way way back. Um, yeah, yeah way, well before I'd, I would say that. 70s 80s or something like that yeah these is, that, the SPs? 80s, is yeah. that what they are that's yeah well no, before even the, my time no the sps were the short one that flew longer flights i swear that there was a high density modified but i, I could be yeah wait but it was before both of our times <laughs> that's for sure <laughs> yeah nice. well we'll keep we'll, we, we gotta keep things uh more in the present here so we uh, our memories are fresh yep yep well, Jay, that is another Airline Weekly Lounge. We it's fun to chat about Paris and, and my chat with Alaska listeners. You can reach myself at er at skiff.com. You can reach Jay at js at skiff.com. Thanks again, Jay. Okay, yeah, thanks. Thanks, Ned. Thanks, everyone. And uh, yeah, follow us on LinkedIn and make sure to read Airline Weekly. Thank you for joining us for this week's episode of the Airline Weekly Lounge podcast. Check out airlineweekly.com for a new issue every Monday and updates on the latest airline news throughout the week.